0: Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this begins a ten-week countdown to Reformation Sunday. On October thirty-first, 1517, exactly 500 years ago, a German monk, named Martin Luther posted on the church door in the town of Wittenberg Germany a list of 95 grievances that he... These 95 grievances were a list of 95 ways in which the Roman Catholic Church had departed from scripture for Martin Luther scripture was the final authority he was eventually brought before the courts of the Catholic Church to answer for his insubordination, and that was at the Diet of Worms, or Worms, as I pronounce it. He was solemnly charged. This is giving me problems again. Martin Luther was solemnly charged to repent and to recant upon threat of death. But Luther stood firm and he finally declared uh, to uh, all the the, uh, church officials, he said, Since then Your Majesty and Your Lordships declare a simple reply, I will answer without horns or without teeth. Unless I, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they, they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to do so would go against conscience and is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no otherwise. God help me. Amen. Luther, in his reading of the Scriptures, learned that Scripture alone, or what we're calling sola scriptura, is the final and ultimate authority. The church is not the final authority. The creeds are not the final authority. The church tradition is not the final authority. Even the doctrines of the church are not the final authority. God's written Word is the ultimate authority for life and for doctrine. And it is still true and authoritative for us as it was for Martin Luther. Sadly, today many professing, for many professing Christians, Scripture has lost its authority. Many give lip service to the inspiration of Scripture, but when push comes to shove, there's little meaningful commitment to the authority of Scripture when it comes to governing our beliefs or governing our behaviors. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when the serpent said to Eve, did God really say... God's Word has been under attack. And to make matters worse, because of the power of our self-seeking flesh, we are prone to forget the real authority of the Scriptures for our life. Timothy was a good example of what I'm talking about. Timothy was one of the Apostle Paul's most faithful associates. Two of Paul's 13 letters that are included in the New Testament were written to Timothy. And the reason Tim, uh, Paul had to write these two letters to Timothy was because Timothy was timid. Paul had to remind Timothy not to cower when people looked down on him because of his youth. So he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And impurity, and then in his second letter to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter one verses seven and eight, Paul had to remind Timothy again not to be timid. Paul told him, God gave us a spirit, uh, or God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or or of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. Paul knew that Timothy would face persecution. Paul knew if Timothy was going to preach God's Word faithfully, if he was going to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, if he was going to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there would be people lining up against him to persecute him. So I want you to look with me at Second Timothy chapter 3. Look, look first of all at verse 8. Paul told Timothy that there would be people just like John Ace and Jambres who oppose Moses. Because, well, there's going to be people who always oppose, who oppose the truth of God's Word. So in verse 8, just as John Ace and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And Paul was very well acquainted with these types of people. He met them in every town that he went to preach the gospel. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord has rescued me. So Paul's point is that Timothy then should expect that those same types of people will also oppose His ministry as well. So then listen to verses 12 and 13. Paul continues, Indeed, all, including Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men or evil people and impostures will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so what Paul's telling Timothy is, Timothy, you must hang on to Scripture in the face of great and steady opposition. So again, look at the passage. Look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, "...but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is going to be a big challenge for Timothy because he has this tendency to be timid. When I played football in high school, we were taught how to tackle a person so as to jar loose the football. We were to put our helmets Squarely in their chest, and then we were to explode through them. And to help us learn to do this, we had a drill called Suicide Alley. And basically, Suicide Alley ran like this: the the whole team would split in two and would form uh, two would form an aisle, two two rows about like uh, about as wide as as these pews are apart from each other, and then at the back would be a a ball carrier and then about five yards uh, away from him would be a tackler. And then there would be five yards later another tackler and then five yards later another tackler. And so the, the ball carrier was supposed to learn to hang on to the football for dear life. And our job was to jar it loose when we tackled him because if we jarred it loose, he had to start over again and we got to hit him even more. So that was a lot of fun. And so... The first tackler would get a running start at him and hit him with all his force. And then, whenever the guy got up off the ground, just as he's getting back up, the next guy would run and tackle him. And then the third guy, as he's getting back up, would run and hit him again. And so, this is um, in visual form a little bit about like a very much like what Timothy's ministry was going to be like. Paul is telling Timothy that there would be people lining up to oppose him bitterly and try and make him fumble the Bible. But Timothy, Paul is telling him, must hang on to Scriptures. He must not fumble the Bible. In verses 16 and 17, Paul told Timothy why he must hang on to Scripture. And in doing so, he also tells us why we must hang on to Scripture for dear life. First of all, he says that Scripture is God-breathed. This means that Scripture is God's very Word. In other words, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. What we are privileged to have in our laps or hold in our hands this morning is God's pure, utterly reliable, Error-free Word. God is a God of truth. And He has communicated to us truthfully in His Word. His Word is true and trustworthy in all that it addresses. There are many ways in which the Bible has been attacked in our day and age. There have been many ways in which the Bible has been attacked in every age. There are too many ways for me to recount in this sermon. But ultimately, each attack on the Bible is an assault upon the person and character and purpose of God because God has said His Word is true. And if His Word is not true, then God is not true. If God is not true, then God is not God. In addition to being true, the Bible is also authoritative. It has God's authority because God is the author of the Bible. This book is no common book. It is not just the best religious guidebook among many religious writings. It is God's Word. It has the vast, unrelenting, and perpetual authority of God because God, the true God, The King of heaven and earth is its author. We as God's creatures are called to trust in its trustworthiness and submit to its commandments. Charles Spurgeon has said, You who dislike certain portions of holy writ, rest assured that your taste is corrupt and God will not stay for your little opinion. Because the Bible is God's inerrant and authoritative word, we can have full confidence of its usefulness. This is what Paul said next, um, uh, further on in verse sixteen and seventeen. Look again with me at the Scripture. He says all Scripture, not some, not parts, but all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or useful. For, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is profitable or useful for us. It is useful for teaching. It's useful for reproof. It's useful for correction. And it's, it's useful for training in righteousness. It teaches us everything we need to know about God and how to love Him, how to trust Him, and how to serve Him. It teaches us what is right and what is wrong and tells us how we can escape our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. It teaches us how to grow in righteousness so that you will not just be equipped, but thoroughly equipped, completely equipped for every good work. This passage, also tells us that God's Word is clear. When God speaks, He intends to be heard and understood. He intends to teach us in His Word. He intends to correct us with His Word. He intends to help us grow in righteousness through His Word in order that we might be complete, that we might be equipped for every good work. In other words, God's not hiding His truth in His Word. But He's revealing Himself. He's revealing His will. He's revealing His salvation clearly to us in His Word. This passage also tells us that God's Word is sufficient. It tells us all we need to know for salvation. It teaches us all we need to know for following our Lord Jesus Christ. We have our Christian creeds. We have our Christian books and they are very helpful for sharpening our understanding of God's Word. But they are helpful only insofar as they stick close to and expound God's Word. Time and again, the philosophers, the scientists, and the psychologists do what they do And when they actually reach conclusions that are most helpful for humanity, they find that the theologians have been there waiting on them for at least 2,000 years. But while while the philosophers and scientists and psychiatrists do their work without Scripture, they have typically made more of a mess of things than, than anyone could have ever have thought possible. I offer the 20th century with its devastating wars and its inhuman political movements such as communism as exhibit A for proof of that statement. It's very tempting for us to puff ourselves up with pride because we are a Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church. But if we are truthful with ourselves, we are a lot like Timothy we have an inward difficulty in hanging on to Scripture. When we experience hardships, often instead of going to the Psalms for hope and comfort from God's Word, we throw ourselves a great big pity party. And when we read Scripture, oftentimes we read it as a duty to be completed rather than with joy and delight in God. Or others of us read it just as wise uh, religious suggestions rather than the authoritative Word of the living God. And further still, many of us who believe God's Word is indeed God's Word, sadly, rarely read it at all. We truly have a hard time hanging on to Scripture and reading His Word as God intends. You know, when we read the Bible, we find that it tells us all about our ongoing weaknesses. It tells us that we are sinners and in need of God's continual grace. It tells us about our gracious Savior who went to the cross to earn our salvation for us, to earn our forgiveness by giving Himself to the cross in our place. It tells us that God has given us His Holy Spirit and that His Holy Spirit will help us understand God's Word and will help us um, to apply God's Word to our lives so that we can grow in grace, so that we can grow in our Christ likeness, so that we will become complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as I conclude, if you have a hard time reading God's Word or getting anything out of, uh, out of God's Word, I want to give you an assignment. It's an assignment that some of the youngest of us, some of the, the five and six-year-olds, would even be able to complete. In other words, there are no excuses. And that is spend five minutes a day reading God's Word. I'm setting the bar pretty low here. Five minutes. Get your Bible open to the Gospel of John and pray and ask God to help you. Then hit the timer on your phone or on your watch and determine to do nothing but patiently read God's Word for five minutes. And do that every day without fail. Now, I'm not saying that five minutes is is uh, the full diet that you should get out of God's Word, but if you're just if you're having a hard time getting started, I want to help you get started. Five minutes, without fail, you'll be a, you'll be able to easily read one or two chapters of God of John's Gospel in that five minutes, and I say one or two chapters. Chapter one's pretty long, so you might get not get through two chapters. And chapter six is pretty long, Uh, and there are other chapters that are kind of long. But it's not about getting through the chapters; it's about reading God's word for five minutes. If you want to read longer, be my guest. And John's Gospels, twenty-one chapters, you'll you'll finish it in less than a month, easily less than a month. And when you finish it, read it again you'll be surprised how much you get out of it the second time. And then move on to one of the other Gospels and do the same thing. After that, try the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters long. You might be able to read the whole book in five minutes. If you're not in the habit of reading God's Word, you'll find find quickly that your whole perspective on life in general, and your life in particular, will begin to expand and begin to deepen as your mind is trained little by little, day after day, to think God's thoughts after Him. In fact, I will predict further that you won't just be reading five minutes. After a while, you'll want to read more. In other words, hang on to Scripture. It is God's Word to you. Scripture, Scripture alone is our inerrant, our sufficient, and our final authority for how we hear about God and His great love for us in Jesus Christ our Lord, whose name we pray. Let's go to the Lord. Almighty God, I pray that we would be Bible people here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Father, there is so much that opposes Your Word, so many things that would knock Your Word out of our hands, not the least of which is our own flesh that is self-seeking, that would sit down and watch hours of television without ever thinking of picking up Your Word that would do everything as a priority, leaving Your Word for last. God, You have given us Your Spirit. Now help us to take up Your Word. Read it with joy and read it with great usefulness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work that You have assigned to us. Help us to do that work by the help of Your Spirit, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen.